This is the GGC Life Podcast. There's two parts to this message that I want to kind of um, look at. We're going to read Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look at the Spirit-birthed church. Okay, We're going to look at uh, what the Spirit-birthed church actually looked like, and then we're going to uh, finish up with the part two of this message, and it's how can we get there, essentially. One, some of the, like the, how can we create a welcoming habitat for the Holy Spirit to come, dwell, reign, rule, and have His way in our midst. Cool? Are you cool with that? You keen to hear? All right. We're reading from Acts chapter 2. I'm so glad. We actually got to the Bible. We actually got to the message today. All right. Acts chapter 2, the Spirit birth church. From verse 1, we're going to read. All right. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, everybody say Suddenly. Suddenly, okay, so the first thing that we see, the Spirit Birth Church, you can go to the next slide, is Holy Spirit suddenlies. Holy Spirit suddenlies in a Spirit Birth Church. And we've got to be welcoming for that. There, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire. Guys, this is real. This is not, this, the, the, the literary style of this book is not, it's not prophetic, it's not poetry, it's not apocalyptic, it is eyewitness accounts. Divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They're marked for mission. A spirit birth church is marked for mission. Verse 4, and they were all filled, everybody say all. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit without reservation. This is a beautiful picture. I heard someone teaching on this, the, um, the prophetic word from Joel. I think it is Joel 2 and also revealed here in Acts 2. When God talks about, when, when Joel's prophesying, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. God's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. All sons and daughters will prophesy. Yeah, young men will dream, driven, dr- young men will dream dreams, old men will see visions, or the other way around. Butching it. Should pull it up. I've got it here somewhere. The point is, it's not, we're not focusing on the, the, the type, the mode of prophecy, dreams, visions, all of this. It, that was a known thing. But it was actually the, the, the aim, the, what, was, what we were bringing attention, what God was bringing attention to in that, in that scripture was that God would pour out his spirit on all flesh. No longer just for the priests. No longer just for the, the, the elders of that time or whatever. It was, it was for all people. God would make uh, his home in the hearts of men, men and women. And so they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's prophetic fulfillment. Guys, a spirit birth, birth church experiences prophetic fulfillment. When we see God prophesying things, it's not just for like a, a, a cool you know, vision-filling experience, it's so that we can walk into the prophetic fulfillment of what God is paving with His words. Amen? Okay, and so they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. That's a supernatural harvest. You know, there's a harvest that belongs to you, to me, to us as a church, that you will not reap outside of residing in the presence of God. There's a supernatural harvest that belongs to the Spirit-birthed church. 
And so at this sound, the multitude came together. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Verse 7, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we each hear, that we hear each of us in his own native tongue? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, uh, all the areas, Egypt and Libya, belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews, proselytes, Cretans, Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Now, this was like a slight dig at the Galileans. That's like saying, you know, <laughs> whichever suburb you don't like, I'm not going to label a suburb. You think they're uh, not as, you know, intelligent suburb as you. These guys are saying these are simple Galileans. They're not learned people, yet they're speaking in all these languages. There was a real eyewitness um, miracle that happened to you where they all spoke in different languages. Languages that they had not studied, learned, grew up with. And all were amazed and perplexed, perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Verse 30, sorry, verse 13. But others mockingly said they are filled with new wine. And the final thing that a spirit-based church, a spirit-birth church experiences is baseless critics. Now there are, there are, there are, there are, there are, there is space for fair criticism, constructive criticism, things that we need to improve. I'm talking about there, there will be things that you face, that the Spirit Birth Church faces, that you'll actually, you can recognize that there's a baseless criticism that's thrown. We'll, we'll open that up in just a moment. Okay, so are we still agile enough for the Holy Spirit suddenly? That's my question. That's what we want to kind of open up with. Are we still open for these Holy Spirit suddenlies? I love, I love what God does in the suddenly moments. He, a couple of weeks ago, we didn't have it on the run sheet to do communion. And we, we recognized God was leading us to do communion. And I remember in that moment, we, we took communion. And then I think we started praying for clarity over people, just like deliverance. And we got testimonies back that, uh, that people actually felt a shift, like where they felt things were cloudy and foggy and they couldn't see vision or they were, they were hopeless or broken, that had lifted off of them. Like, like um, real testimonies. It's, it's beautiful. And, and I just think that wouldn't have happened if we weren't led into what God was doing. And my encouragement to you is allow Him to tear apart your schedule. Now, this isn't to say that every schedule is not of God. I believe that God gives, if we're, if we're going to him, God is the one guiding our steps. But there's something true about this. I remember someone sharing this with me and it blew my mind. You know how in the word it says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Have you ever pictured that? Have you ever allowed yourself to go there in your mind? A lamp. We're not talking about a floodlight or turning the lights on in the room. We're talking about a lamp. And there's something about walking with God that works like this, that you are a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, which means that I don't always know exactly where I'm going to end up, but I've got faith to walk with you. I've got faith to walk with you. As you light up the next step before me, I'm going to take it. And then the next step. 
and then the next step, and then the next step. And, and you, when you do that, you can walk on water. You start to do things that you otherwise would be, you would have been held back, or you would have been maybe even intimidated to do so in any other context. But God knows that he's actually, his desire to, he's also, his other desire is that he would only allow us to see, um, he, he wants to, yeah, he wants to keep us trusting him. So anyway, lamp unto our feet, light into our path. Are we still agile enough for the Holy Spirit suddenly? Let him shake things up. He's a good God. Amen. And things can get messy. And, and I want to encourage you, if you're a part of this church, and look, our, our, you know, our desire, we, we're really good, I think. I mean, not lately, so I apologize. But um, I think we're good with like, you know, honoring people's time. <laughs> Maybe you don't think so. Um, and all this sort of stuff. But my challenge to us is this. Let's not, at the uh, desire... You know, with, with, with the desire to honor people's time, let's not dishonor God's time. Sometimes what we do is we're so, we're so looking to honor people's time. And, and there's a reality that people have plans and there's all of this. But there's, there's also this reality that God is doing something. And sometimes what we do when we honor people's time over God's time is that we actually create an idol of men or of the sheep or of the people and what people think of us. And there's a reality that Jesus faced that people left him. God, you know, sometimes people will leave your life and that's okay. And it's not about this person's battle. This person's good. In fact, the Bible teaches us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So stop wrestling against your brothers and sisters. And so God wants to keep us agile. Are we willing to move in step with him? Amen. Okay. But these, yes, yeah, so these aren't just sensational moments. When God does something, you know, when maybe someone starts shaking or calling out or screaming or time goes over time and something crazy is happening and it's, and it's a bit strange. But just let me tell you if, you, if you tapped into something with the amount of power that's, that's surging through God, if you just touched an electric fence, I tell you, you'd, you'd pee your pants and probably a whole lot else. And there's something, there's something true to be said of that. And God's not trying to possess us or anything like that. But there's like, when you <laughs> consider your first kiss, if you've ever kissed anyone, and the butterflies that kind of just like bubble up inside of you. There's something, there's a reaction that takes place because that's just what happens. There are reactions that take place. And so these aren't just sensational moments, but these are defining moments. And God uses these things to set us on the trajectory that we are tasked to steward. Amen? The key is desire. Um, and, and pride comes before a fall. God has called us to humbly desire. Understand that we need this. God, we need you. We need your presence. We need you to come in. We're willing to shift things. You know, I was in South Africa uh, several months ago, last year, end of last year, and I was so excited to preach. I'd been booked up for all these preaching slots, and I get there, and I preached one message, and then the guy says, oh, actually, you're probably not preaching these slots anymore. <laughs> and I'm like, this guy doesn't like my preaching. <laughs> and he'd given it to this other guy and it really like irked all the pride in me. I'm like, well, I started getting like upset or hurt or something and I realized it was all pride. But man, God is calling us not to lean on our own understanding. It's not just what we can contribute. It's not just the way that we would have seen it. And God did something beautiful, incredible without me. And remember this, that God, when he, when he leads us, when we create room for him to move, all the best things happen. So, Take time to hear his voice. 
you hear his voice. The sheep hear his voice. Jesus told his disciples that those who belong to him will follow him um, as they hear his voice in John 10, verse 3 to 4. And this proved to be true the week before crucifixion when God called down and only some, and some only heard thunder. Do you know that? And so you can actually miss out on God speaking because you're not, you're not uh, allowing him to shepherd your life. Be a sheep to the shepherd. Amen? Okay, let's keep moving. Number two, marked for mission. God wants to empower you. This is when those tongues of fire, they come on people. When the fire comes on you, you yield. Turn to your neighbor and say, you yield. You yield. Stop, drop, and roll. Here's, uh, here's like a friendly little reminder for you. Stop what you're doing, drop what's not of him, and roll with his mission for you. Stop, drop, and roll. Stop what you're doing, drop what's not of him, and roll with his mission for you. Last week when I was preaching, I'll just be vulnerable with you. I felt, I said it, I said I felt the fire of God on me. And I'll just tell you, like I'll be honest, I'm still learning to steward what that looks like. It threw me off big time. That's why I was like, oh, what do I preach next? Where do I go? And the whole week I was wrestling with this thing, almost like an internal, uh, just like this wrestle of like, oh, I could see God what you're doing. And I wish I could go back in time and shift things and all this. And, and God hasn't called us to live in regret. But I'm so glad that I came up against that because I feel like I'm breaking through that. And God, that's not just for the preacher or the me or the someone next to you. It's for you. God is calling you to break through this thing that is just, you know, the mundane or the flow state. And God's calling you to step into something that, uh, that you can only do when you're empowered to do so. And so his fire's coming upon you. And when it comes upon you, just so you know, you're marked for mission. You're empowered. You can do the things he's calling you to do. And honestly, like, it's so, like, I love seeing, we've seen, like, we've been blown away by, you, I think we've, we're seeing God work in many ways at church. And one of the ways, because we're here, we're purchasing the building. I'll tell you, like, the grace, the gracing and the empowerment has manifested in a way where we're seeing, like, insane donations to this building. The fact that we've raised, like, three million, do you know what that looks like? It looks like people have emptied out their wedding accounts. People have emptied out honeymoon savings accounts. People have donated bonuses. People have donated house deposits. People are donating cars. People are selling homes. People are redrawing an equity to, uh, to lend. Hundreds of thousands of dollars lent. And there's, like... There's something here that is reminiscent of the Acts 2 church that sold all that they had and they brought it to be used for the kingdom of God. And I think God can use that. I don't think, I know, I know God can use that. Okay, let's just keep, let's keep moving. Well, just on this thing where we, where we stop, drop and roll in a place with the Lord where you can't, it's, it's like being in a place with the Lord where you can't help but forgive quickly. Give generously, follow closely, pursue relentlessly, lay down willingly, obey easily. God is calling us to live this life, but you'll, only, you'll, you'll be empowered for it by His Spirit. Amen? That's why I want to be a Spirit Birth Church. Okay, prophetic fulfillment. Like, like I said, God's paving a path before us with these words. And when you're a spirit birth church, you get to experience prophetic fulfillment. These aren't just empty dreams. Guys, you hear about, there's a word, like we, we shared this at prayer meeting a couple of weeks ago. There was a guy who came to work on this building in 1968. It's a long time ago. Most of us weren't born. But you know who was born that year? Leo Nukotra, this old man at the front who's leading the church. He was born in 1968 and someone came to work in this building in 1968 and he said... 
this would be a great place for a church. And then he felt the Spirit of God speak to him. You know what he said? God said, this will be a church. That is insane. 1968. We can can take a moment. I was going to pull apart all these beautiful words. We're not going to do them now. But let me tell you, this is the life God's called us to live. It's not an empty life. It's not a... It's not, uh, guys, like I'd love to one day do a preach on confirmation bias. God hasn't called us to be naive, confirmation biasing Christians. God has called us to hear his word and follow it. Amen. Okay. Supernatural harvest. (sighs) My my mind is blown and my heart is full with excitement whenever Jade comes up and she starts sharing this, like all the testimonies from the Glebe tent over the weekend. Every month we're in the heart of the broken, you know, rebellious society of the world that the Lord loves and seeing them healed, reconciled, united, blessed, experiencing the presence of God in a way that they otherwise wouldn't have if we weren't there to go and harvest. But guess what? It's only because of the the supernatural Um, element of what God is doing within us because we're a spirit birthed church. Do you make room for the Holy Spirit? If you do, I'm telling you, you're going to live this supernaturally harvesting life. Keep going. Number five, baseless critics. At the time of Pentecost, just let me tell you something. When this was happening and everyone's like, ah, they must have new wine. Did you know this? That there is no new wine at the time of Pentecost. The grape and olive harvests haven't even started yet. And the newest wine, the newest wine is almost 10 months old. So what was brought in that moment, just to give you context, it was a derogatory dismissal with no real basis. So what was brought in that moment was someone had written off, because they just didn't want to believe it, they had already written off what God was doing. Sometimes we play that role in what God does, right? And so we write it off. We don't give space for God's move. And, and we're like, nah, I don't know what that is. That seems strange, weird, you know, unhelpful, whatever. But just let, me, just let me remind you that as you step into this, this atmosphere and this calling of being a spirit birth church, expect baseless criticism. God has not called you to fight it. God has called you to preach and reveal. And Peter gets up and he says, these guys aren't drunk with wine. He doesn't go down the rabbit hole. He doesn't say, hey, what are you talking about? It's like, there's no new wine. You're being an idiot. <laughs> he doesn't criticize. He gets up and he says, but this is what you've heard taught from Joel. And he makes it plain to them and he preaches the gospel. And then we see another form of the supernatural harvest and all these souls come to Jesus. Amen. That's what he's called. So don't get stuck in the weeds, but there will be baseless criticism flung your way. It's like, anyway, we're going to keep moving because I want to get through the final bits. Okay, a beautiful mess. I just want to talk about making a way for this beautiful mess, this spirit birth church, and, and this is where we'll end. And to me, this is at least for now what God is showing me as a recipe for this stuff. And... I think it's all there in Acts 2 verse 1. And I touched on this last week. Single verse, but it says so much. Acts 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Okay. The day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. The previous you know, chapter speaking about how they had already been up in the upper room. 
What we see here is there is hunger. They've been there forever. Ten days. <laughs> Imagine like, you know, a ten-day service. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> um, I was struggling through the 24-hour prayer night. <laughs> Amen. Now, hunger, unity. They were all together in one place. Men, women, children. All together in one place. And holiness. They were apart from everything. They were willing to wait and put away, put aside the things of the world. And they'd gone, like, 10 days is a lot. Do you know 10 days means they wouldn't have been able to work for those 10 days? I'm not, I'm not calling us to this, like out of the world, not working sort of thing. But there's something here that, that I think we can open up and consider as the platform and the, 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 the thing that creates, creates like a, a welcoming atmosphere for God to come and do what He wants to do. It's hunger, unity, and holiness. And so hunger, I remember growing up, I, I really wanted a Nintendo DS, like the original one. There's like there's been a million Nintendo DSs now. But when I was a kid, the first Nintendo DS came out. It was like a little Nintendo console, for those of you that don't play games. Um, and so my parents bribed me, and they said, if you read the Bible in 90 days, we'll give it to you. Isn't that great parents? <laughs> and so I was so hungry, not for the presence of God, but for a Nintendo DS that I actually read the Bible in 90 days, or the New Testament in 90 days. And I remember it seeming like such a chore and like, say like, ah, oh, this is terrible and just spitting through it. But I, I did it. I actually did it. My question to you is, do you want the Lord more than a Nintendo DS? <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. So waiting on the Lord. Ten days. Do we make space for him? Do we lay down our schedule at his feet? Are we honoring his time over our time? I love that Jesus says, he, he says to um, his disciples and everyone in the room, when the children were trying to come through, he says, let the children come to me. For if you want the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven belongs to children like these. When I think children, I think Elias. When I think Elias, I hear this, this, this phrase, I hungry. I hungry. He's just always saying, I hungry. I'm, if, he's, if, if you've ever served in kids' church downstairs, I apologize because he never stops saying, I hungry, I hungry, and they're just stuffing him with crackers. <laughs> we have to write, we we're thinking of putting like a note on his back, pasting it and saying, do not feed or something like that. Um, but you think about the time that it says Jesus couldn't do many mighty miracles in his own hometown. There were these people there that knew Jesus. They weren't hungry for what he had to offer. And he says, a prophet's not on it in his own hometown. I tell you, if we become familiar with the presence of God, we won't be hungry. If we become familiar with the beautiful thing that he's done for us, of giving us eternal life, forgiving us, giving us a clean slate, if we become familiar with that, we won't be hungry. We'll be full. And this is where Matthew 5, people use this. I th personally, I think people will take this and prostitute this verse to make it about um, poor people. Matthew 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. It says that Jesus gets up and he sees the crowd. And upon seeing that crowd in verse 3, he says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, or the gentle, gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Not the ones that are wrestling. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And it's, this, it's like this beautiful introduction for everything Jesus is about to say. And he's like, hey, if you're hungry, if you're desiring this, if you're looking for something, you're going to get it. It's like the, the knock thing. Like if you knock, I'm going to open the door. And he's, and he's setting this... this um, atmosphere, and he's saying, hey, if you're hungry, our Father 
is faithful to supply. Hmm. Yeah. Like Jesus talks about in another scripture, in Luke 5, I won't read the whole thing, but he's eating with tax collectors and sinners and all this stuff. And the Pharisees say, Jesus, like, why are you hanging out with all these sinful people? And Jesus says to the Pharisees, he's like, I haven't come for the healthy, I've come for the sick. And so at that point, the Pharisees are like, oh, okay, yeah, they are the sick, you know, that's, that's cool. What they missed was that Jesus was saying he'll spend time with whoever realizes they're sick and in need of a healer. The Pharisees weren't welcoming him. The people of God, the ones that knew all the scriptures, all the prophecies, everything that was prophesied about the Messiah to come, they knew it all, and yet they did not create a space for, God, uh, for Jesus to come and minister. But the, the sick, the ones that knew they were sick and they needed a Messiah, they created the space. Okay, let's move on to unity. Unity. Everybody say unity. unity. Why do you think the enemy works so hard to bring disunity amongst churches? Matthew 12, 25, a house divided against itself shall not stand. If you want to be a spirit birth church, if you want to create a space, a welcoming space for the spirit to come in and do what he wants to do, unity. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Turn to your neighbor, tell them you love them. Tell them you love them. <laughs> Don't confess your love for them. This isn't your moment. <laughs> okay. So maybe that wasn't so hard because you're probably sitting next to someone that you, you probably love or you like or whatever. Why don't you turn to someone a couple rows away from you and tell me you love them? <laughs> no, you don't have to do that. Um, it's like, what, what are the boundaries of your unity? You know, is the question should we, we should be asking ourselves. What are the boundaries of our unity? You know, if someone takes our seat, <laughs> if someone doesn't say hi, maybe it's when someone's praying a blessing of heaven over you, but their breath is from hell. Can I get an Amen. <laughs> Now, but maybe it's a difference in faith, differences on non-essential doctrines. You know, that can like rub us up. It's like, God, oh, I don't believe that. That's weird. Um, maybe it's how they pray. Maybe it's how outspoken they are. Maybe it's how reserved they are. Maybe it's their conspiracy theories. Can I get an amen? <laughs> whatever, the, uh, whatever the boundaries of your unity are, let me just tell you, if someone belongs to the family of God, they are your brother, they are your sister. And it's time to tear down the walls that have divided us because when the walls come down, we're stronger. Amen? We will be known by our love for one another. So go deal with it. We cannot afford to allow division in the kingdom of God. This doesn't just go locally. It goes across the church of Christ. Church to church to church. We're not called to call out other churches. God has called us to bless and pray for them. If we have a relationship with them, if we don't, um, sorry, if we have a relationship with them, we can start wrestling with things and help building. If we don't, let's start building. I really feel like we're, we're getting like some prophetic sort of um, feedback and I think stuff coming from people that I think we're entering into a very interesting, as a church, our church, we're entering into a, it's like we're um, putting on a new cloak, I think. And so there's something different that we're about to step into and I don't want to label it, but I, yeah, <laughs> but I do think it's really cool seeing God making like all these beautiful connections. Like God is bringing people to us, like leaders, not to come to our church, but to actually build relationship with, partner with in this city and in the nation for what God wants to do. So where there is unity, God commands a blessing all together in one place, yet many languages. It's unity, not uniformity. Unity in the spirit. Let's go after unity. Sustained unity is a manifestation of being filled with the spirit and having Christ as our head because we're held together. So it's like a synergetic tapestry 
It's like this beautiful, you know, you see this like rug and it's got all the colors and all these patterns, but it, it's, they're not competing. They all work together. They're not competing, but they're celebrating. They're collaborating. They're cooperating. And God has called us into this thing. You know, Jesus has this, one of his final moments of ministry that we read about is the high priestly prayer. And you know, the only thing that he prays for us is unity. When he prays for the ones far off, the ones that are, he says, I do not ask for these only, he's praying for his disciples, but also, check this, this should like melt your heart. This is Jesus praying for you. But also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You know, we can take a bit of responsibility for why the world doesn't believe. Jesus says, he gives reason for why he prays for unity, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory you have given me, I give to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am. It's just all this beautiful like language of like all together, togetherness, unity, wholeness. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And I'll finish on this, holiness. You you remember iPods, right? iPods? Apple made these beautiful little gadgets and it's like, you can fit a whole album in your pocket. It's crazy. Um, But you know, when the iPod came out, Microsoft, you know, the guys that make Windows computers, they created the Zune. Did anyone have a Zune? Okay, did anyone remember the Zune? Really? There's, there's one back there. Okay, we've got a couple of Zoom fan boys and girls. Um, okay, I just want to create a moment for us to empathize with Bill Gates' children. Bill Gates did not let his children ever own an iPod because Bill Gates owned Microsoft and he couldn't allow his children to be seen carrying an iPod when they had just built the Zoom. <laughs> These poor kids never had an iPod. Um, the reason I'll draw attention to that, though, is because... There's something to be said for, you know, it's, it's confusing and it's compromising to not live, to not live the lives that God has called us to live. This holiness thing, God has called us out of something and into a new thing. And so if we're not living, if we're, if we're walking around with whether it's sin or living like the world or just not looking like Christ, it's compromising. And so God desires to pour His presence out on a people that have chosen to be holy. I remember a, a tweet going viral from like a, um, I think it was like a Google executive and they're slamming iPhone. They're like, iPhones are terrible. You know, come get the, the latest Samsung or whatever. And it said, it was back in the days where it went on Twitter. If you tweeted, it said, tweeted via an iPhone. <laughs> it went absolutely viral um, because it compromised what he was trying to bring. Um, they need to be able to look at God's people and see that we've committed our lives to God's cause. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen people. This is, this is prophesying. This is Peter writing to the Hebrew church, but this belongs to us all. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. Okay. To holiness. He's called us to, to be given to the right thing, called out as a representative. 
Hey, hey, so this beautiful mess. When, when, when God comes in and He messes things up, when we've created space for Him to mess things up, let's just like super welcome it, hey? Not just in our services, but yes, in our services, in our gatherings, but also in our lives. When you had a plan, when you had predicted what 2023 was going to look like or 2024 is going to look like, plan, you know, you know, dream with God, consider what God's doing and be ready to be, just remain agile. That's what I feel like He's calling us into, remain agile. Because if we can remain agile, then His Spirit will flow through us. And I don't believe He's called us to just build an altar that is impressive and spectacular and beautiful and, and it's admirable and it's like, wow, look what they've laid down on the altar and look what they've built. If, if we don't have the presence of God, it's all for nothing. I heard someone once say this, and it was, it was a beautiful thing. Um, they were talking about writing music. And, and writing worship songs. And this person was like, oh, it's such a privilege. When we write songs and, you know, we've worked hard on them all year or for many years sometimes when we're just working, working, working on this stuff. And then, and then we see churches all around the world singing it. It's amazing. It's so cool seeing many people sing these songs. But it's just as, if not more beautiful, when it's wasted at the feet of Jesus and it doesn't go anywhere. And, and that's, that's the question for us. It's like, have we, are we offering up ourselves again in a fresh way where we're not building for everyone else, but we live for the audience of one? Where we, where we gather for the audience of one, for Jesus? Where we, where we build things and we plan things and it's all because, hey, we want to honor Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the GGC Life podcast. We hope you feel encouraged. Be blessed.